Amen. Come on, why don't you give Jesus a big, big clap this morning? Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. How many of you guys sense Jesus right here, right now? Yeah, I know that God is moving, and I pray that this morning, even as we are here, God is going to do something. Right, church, let's open our hearts. Let's get ready for the word this morning. Are you guys ready for the word? Yeah, yeah? amen. Okay. Today, I'm going to talk to you guys about a little bit about desire. Everybody say with me, desire. And, you know, we want a lot of things in life, right? I think as a student, you want to get like that straight A's. And then after you graduate, you want that good job. You want that career. And then you start to think, you know what? Okay, I need to get like, into that good relationship. I want that family. I want to get engaged. I want to get married. And then family, in that order, guys, all right? And then after that, we want to go for that holiday, we want to buy that car, we want to buy that house. How many of you guys know that that never ends? Yeah, and that is something that will, will go on for the rest of our lives. But in life, there are wants, there are needs, and then there are desires. And desire is, a desire is a strong feeling of wanting to have something or wishing for something to happen. We all have desires, everybody has desires, but the thing is, if that desire is misplaced, it could cause our lives to be messed up. And today I want to share with you guys about these two kings from the Bible, King Saul and King David. All right, so just follow through with me. There are a bunch of Bible verses they're going to read together, all right? So don't worry, they will all be up on the screen, all right? So first, we're going to talk about King Saul. Everybody say King Saul. The thing about King Saul is that he was chosen by the people. And I'm just going to read to you guys from 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 12 to 13, and he says, but when you were afraid of Nahash, the king of Ammon, you came to me and said that you wanted a king to reign over you. This was Samuel talking. Even though the Lord your God was already your king. Verse 13, all right, here is the king that you have chosen. You ask for him and the Lord has granted your request. You see, Saul was chosen by the people. He was of great stature. He was probably like the best and he stood out among everybody else. But even though he was chosen by the people, he was also anointed by God. The, the big thing here is that he chose to remain in that identity as the king of the people. And in a lot of the things that he did, and we're going to read on after that, right, he did it to impress people and he wanted to remain as the king of the people. Number two, second thing about Saul is that he was proud. His pride caused him to make so many different foolish decisions, right? And 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 24 to 26. It reads, Now the men of Israel were pressed to exhaustion that day because Saul had placed them under an oath, saying, Let a curse fall on anyone who eats before, any, before evening, before I have full revenge on my enemies. So no one ate anything all day. Verse 25, Even though they had all found honeycomb on the ground in the forest, they didn't dare touch the honey because they all, they all feared the oath that they had taken. Now, when you read this Bible verse, right, I want to point your attention to this one phrase that Saul says. And he says that, before I have full revenge on my enemies. How many of us are like that in our lives? You know, don't raise up your hands. That you take that battle on and you say, you know what, that's my battle, God. That victory that I want to take, that's my victory, God. But how many of you guys know that we can never win God's battle for him? Yeah, we are victorious because of God. And we need to be thinking and like, okay, you know what, God? I'm going to let you pilot my life. And in our lives, we're going to go through so many battles. Let me just tell you that. It's going to be battle after battle. But who are we letting win those battles for us? Is it us or is it God? All right? Pride blurs, blurs us sometimes, you know. Saul's men were tired. They were hungry. But because of his pride, if you read on um, 
you read on, he, he lost the battle. And because of all that, so many other consequences happened. Number three, he disobeyed God. Yeah, First Samuel chapter 15, verse 3 and verse 9, it says, Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation. Men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. This is something that Samuel said to Saul. And verse 9, this is what happened after that. You know, Saul and his men, he spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and the goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. You see, when you just read this at one glance, right, you will think like, okay, you know what? It makes sense, right? Like, we are in battle and like, we need all these things. It's, it's okay. It's okay to keep it for ourselves. But here's the thing, Saul deliberately disobeyed God and he tried to justify with God, right? We need to know that we've got to trust that our God knows best and there isn't a need for us to justify God. We need to just trust in him. Amen? Yeah? The fourth point, fourth thing about, about Saul is that he was insecure. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 6 to 9. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. Verse 7. This was their song. Saul, had, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. And this made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Okay, so when you are insecure, it causes you to shift your focus away from the good, right? These people were not saying, Saul is useless and worthless and did nothing. And David, oh, he's the best. That's not what they were saying, right? But Saul chose to focus on the fact that, oh my gosh, this guy is better than me. You know, like, I am so afraid that what if he takes my crown? But... But you see, right, Saul was so jealous. He was so intimidated by David, not because of what David did, not because of how David was, but because of what people said. Because he wanted to impress people, because he wanted people to see him as, you are my king, O king. That caused him to be insecure. That insecurity, you think it's, it's so small, right? We all have insecurities in life. But he let that fester, and it turned into jealousy. It turned into hatred. And he came to a point where he wanted to kill David. Don't let our insecurities get the better of us. Right? Watch our insecurities. Don't let it fester. Don't let it grow into something bigger. Because that will then cause our hearts to not be right before God. Amen. Now I'm going to talk about King David for a bit. But before that, right... God left Saul. If you read on, right, I just want to encourage you guys to go back and read your first Samuel and second Samuel and just, just read on about that. And God had left Saul. And because of that, because of every little thing that he had went through, Saul then became a miserable person. He became lost and depressed. And he was so obsessed with wanting to get rid of David that he lost focus of everything that he was supposed to be doing. Yeah. King David. How many of you guys love King David and you like stories about King David? Yeah, I grew up listening to David and Goliath and I was like, wow, so cool. You can kill a giant with a stone. Yeah. <laughs> First thing about King David was that he was chosen by God. First Samuel chapter 16, uh, verse 7, he says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. 
The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by our appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. King David, we all like the story of King David. We all want to be like King David. But you see, King David was not chosen by people. His own father forgot about him. Right? When, when, Saul, when Samuel asked Jesse, bring all your sons, he's like, oh, these are all my great handsome sons. These are all my good ones can be king. But poor old David was in, the, was in the field taking care of sheep, forgotten by his parents, forgotten by his dad. How many guys want that, right? You don't. <laughs> but the big difference between David and Saul was that David did not stay in his identity as dad. He got out of that and he chose to have his identity secured in God. I want to speak to some of you guys today. You know, I don't know what people have said to you in your lives. I don't know what you are saying to yourself right now. But don't let that define you. That does not, that does not mean who you are. That's not your identity. Who does God say you are this morning? You know, we know that. We say that all the time. God loves you. You are a child of God. Hey, hang on to that. Hang on to that identity. Because when we have that right, then we won't be looking to the right or to the left. We won't be thinking, God, you know, how come my father forgot me, you know? How come they went out for lunch in church and I was in the toilet and nobody thought of me, nobody remembered me? Why they locked church? I was in the toilet, you know? That wouldn't matter. Yeah, because our identity is secure in who God is. Our identity is in God. Amen? David's pride was in God. Yeah, just reading to you guys from 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 20 to 21. It says, When David returned home to bless his own family, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust, How distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. See, David was worshipping God and he was dancing expressively just before that. Verse 21, David retorted, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, and I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those seven girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. This is one thing that I really admire about King David, you know, not, not about the battles that he won, but because he was so unashamed of his love for God. He was so unashamed of the God who, who made him who he was. And I pray that that is, that is what we want to be, right? Don't come to church wanting to look distinguished before the Lord as you worship God, you know, like, oh, my hair must be a certain degree, then your knee is nice. Doesn't matter. Come on, church, we got to be worshipping God. we got to be praising Him. Like, we got to give everything that we have because our God deserves it. Amen. And I pray that the next time when we step into church again next week, when we have our praise and our worship, let's not be holding back. Let's not be afraid of, like, what my neighbours are going to think. Worship God. Praise God. He deserves it. He is good. Amen. Number three. David obeyed God. Yeah. First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 5. He says, Now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparation for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death. See, David loved God. He wanted to build, build a temple for God. But God said, hold on, hang on, uh-uh. Not you, your son needs to do it. And I'm just reading this and I'm thinking like, wow, he had every, every reason to do it himself, right? Solomon knew nothing. He was young, he had inexperienced. You don't even know, has he held a hammer before? You know, does he know how to do it? Does he know how magnificent the Lord's temple might be? 
but he was obedient to God. And I think that's a very good lesson for us as well, right? I think like a lot of times we think like, oh, yo, you know what? We are here to be empowering the next generation. But the next generation, why do they don't know how to do it? Why do they don't know how to, how to be on stage? How do they don't know how to preach? Hey, if we don't give them the chance to do that, they will never learn. They will never be empowered. They will never get that chance to, to really step into that fullest potential. Yeah, and I really believe that when, when we are obedient with God, there is no need to negotiate. There's no need to wonder whether would it work out, would it be okay. But we just got to know that it would be. We don't need to make sense of God's plans for him. Church, yeah. And number four, David was secure. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, you know, David asked to meet um, anyone or someone from, who's still alive from Saul's family. And one of Saul's servants said that Matthew Boseph, sorry for pronouncing it's wrong, Jonathan's son was still alive. So David summoned for him. And listen really carefully to what he is saying, all right? 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 7. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Somebody say, wow. Verse 12, Matthew Boseph had a young son named Micah, and from then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Matthew Boseph's uh, servants. And Matthew Boseph, was, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. Come on, someone say wow again. See, this guy, this King David, my goodness, King Saul did everything in his way to try to kill this fellow. But still, King David's like, you know what? It's okay, you know? This belongs to you. This is yours. Take it and go. There was no fear that like, what if? What if he came back and he took what's rightfully his and became king? There was no fear of that because David's security was not in his abilities. It was not in his kingdom. It was in God. Yeah, how many of us today, you know, if, if our careers, if our relationship, if our families were all taken from us, that, that we will feel insecure, that we will feel empty. Don't hang on tight to our, our jobs, our money for security. Don't hang on to all that because all that is material things that all will fade but we got to be hanging on to God. We need our security to God. Yeah. Can I get the next slide up, please? All right, so at the end of the day, Saul's desire was to be pleasing men, while David's desire was to be pleasing God. Yeah. All right, so I just want to bring you guys' attention to this comparison. And I know this is not something that is probably new to you guys, or you have probably seen this before. If you've been in church for a while, you've probably seen this something like this before, right? King Saul's identity was in men, but King David, hey, it was in God, right? Saul was proud of himself, in himself. David's pride was in God. Amen. King Saul was disobedient, thinking that he knew best, always trying to justify and negotiate his way through. King David was obedient. And the last point is that. Saul was so insecure because his identity was in himself, while David was secure in God. And the root of it all is because their desire and their hearts were rooted in two different things. One was in men and one was in God. And if you read through the story, you'll see how both stories ended. 
David's life was not perfect. He was not without flaw. He made mistakes. You guys all know that, right? He made mistakes. But because he had that desire to please God, to be seeking God's heart over men, over men, no matter what the situation, he knew that he had to make his life right before God. Versus someone who like Saul, who lived his life in fear, in misery, was constantly driven to find a way to get rid of the King David for revenge because he was focused on the wrong thing. His heart was in the wrong thing. Matthew 6, verse 21, it reads, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'm going to read that again. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Desire is deeply, deeply rooted in our hearts. And the Bible also reads on that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? We need to be checking our hearts constantly. And the thing about our hearts, right, is that it's not just, it's not just straight away, it's like confirmed bad already one. It's in the little things, right? I, I remember Carol shared this as part of her offering message, I think a, a few weeks ago. And she said that it is in the little things that creeps into our hearts. If we're not careful, that will ruin us. And that's the thing, right? It's never the big turning point moments that like make our hearts all like go like bad or haywire and all that. But it's the little, quote-unquote, insignificant things that kind of lead us to, to fall into, out, be out of God's plans. You see, Saul, Saul didn't become jealous or begrudging overnight, right? But it was in the little, little things that he allowed to happen in his life that drew him to be where he ended up. There was a time in, in the Bible that Saul loved, loved David, right? And he had that relationship with him, but because little by little... Little by little, things changed. Okay, so focus on this, okay? Sick it, I wanted to hide the after picture. Okay, so, <laughs> so because of the nature of Jeremy's job, right, sometimes we get stuff sent to the house. And this was one occasion where we got sent um, a PR or media kit, which is basically to, for him to review things, like, okay, just because of the nature of his job. And it came with this plant, which was a really beautiful plant. Look at it. Wow, so alive and so pretty. And it was growing and it was thriving. And we were like, okay, cool, nice plant. But one thing you need to know about us, right? We are not nature people. Um, my idea of nature is I like to see it from a screen or behind the, behind the window, okay? Or like someone else's house. Wow, so nice, your plants. That's it. I don't like dirt. I don't like plants. Yeah, just no, okay? Because plants, you have plants, got ends in the house. Ends no good. Okay, so, so you guys have got to understand about us, okay? For us, we were like, we don't like nature at all, so let's give this away. Let's give it away to someone who would take care of it, someone who can nurture it and put in the effort to be helping it to grow. We wanted to give it to John Yen. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but life happened. Uh, we got really busy, and I think that week was like my birthday week or something, so I was really busy with work, busy with a lot of stuff. And towards the end of the week, right, Celine Jeremy's like, hey, what happened to the plant? Ah? Then we went to check on it. When we checked on it, it started looking like this. It was um, dying. <laughs> and the thing is, we didn't water it. <laughs> it was still in the back for the longest time like this. Um, and it started to wilt, to wilt. So me being me, I'm like, no, cannot. You know what? We promised to give this to someone else already. We need to revive it a little bit. So we put it, I put it near the, near the window where the sunlight. I started to water it bit by bit, bit by bit. My dear husband was like, just throw it, it's useless already. It's like, don't waste your time. But I was like, you know what? No, cannot, you know? 
we need to put in the effort, you know, like, cannot, you cannot just let it happen. So I started to water it, I started to try to revive it day after day, I took care of it, I talked to it, I sang to it. Maybe that's why. Yeah. <laughs> I did it for two days, and after two days of trying, I called it. I was like, I'm sorry, God, I'm so sorry that this died. But the thing is, okay, that's, that's the dead picture. I'm not very proud of it, but yeah. The thing is here is that we laugh at this story, right? I tell this story to people. I think it's so funny because it's like, just don't give us plants, okay? If you guys want to give us anything, just don't give us plants. The thing is that something like this, right, it takes a little bit of effort to keep it alive. If we had just watered it on the first day, the second day, the third day, Jonin would have a very nice, beautiful, thriving rosemary plant right now. But all we have is a certain illustration. <laughs> and that's the thing with our hearts as well. Because if you leave it unchecked, you leave it one day, two days, three days, taken for granted, neglected, does it wilt? Would it be wilted? Would it be wrong? Would it be falling off all over the table? How would our hearts be? And when we talk to people about this, right, I told a lot of people this story, and they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know what, rosemary plant, it's very hard to take care of, and really, really, it's a very tough, very tough thing to take care of. It's okay, it's okay that this happened to you. All well-meaning people, and it's true, it's not a wrong fact. But the same goes for our lives as well, right? Like, it is tough. Hey, it is tough to keep our hearts in check. It is tough to make sure that our lives are right before God. It is. But it's in the little, little things, in the little, little efforts, the little everyday things that we do that will make sure that we don't end up wilted, that our hearts are not rotten and bad. For us, for me and Jeremy, life came in the way. We got busy, we got distracted with so many other things. And that's what happened. And that's the same for us in our lives. Life will happen. Am I right? We will get busy with life. We will get distracted with life. But don't let that turn us away from, from looking after the conditions of our heart, for taking care of our hearts. So this morning, I want to ask you guys, what is the condition of our hearts? How is our heart right now? Have we been checking it constantly? The Bible says to guard our hearts above all else. Have we been doing that? And the only way that we can make sure that our heart is right is by desiring for God. You know, church, we always pray and we always say things like, you know, God, I want a greater fervency of passion and fire and desire for you. What does that actually mean? Does it mean just sitting down there and say, God, today I pray during prayer meeting that I want that passion, I want that fire, I want that desire. And then when I go back, boom, fire. Yes, God can work that way. But a lot of times, it's in the little, little things that we do. It's in the little checks of our hearts. It's in the little times that I'm telling ourselves, you know what, this is wrong. That is what I need to be doing. Even though it is tough, even though it is hard, it doesn't matter because we've got to be acting according to how God has called us to. And when our desire is like King David is to please God, it will lead us to then want to do the things that he wants us to do. Because it's not, it's not like, it's not a magical pill, you know, when you desire for God, right? It's not like suddenly something, your entire body changes. But what happens is that our whole focal point about life kind of changes our perspective, how we feel, how we then act. We turn from being self-serving to God-serving. We turn from wanting to have our security in our finances, our security in the properties that we have, in the how nice house that we can have. When people come, they feel impressed. That's not what matters. 
It's not in how big a church we can build or how big a ministry is. Hey, that doesn't matter. At the end of the day, if we are serving God, if we are right, our hearts are right before Him, that's all that matters. And I pray, church, that that is our prayer this morning. I pray that that is what desiring for God means to us this morning. Don't be like a King Saul. His story does not end well. Let me tell you this. Spoiler alert. Be like a King David. We're not perfect. Our lives are not perfect. But you know what? That doesn't mean your life is the end. That's not the end of your story. Amen. So today, I want to talk to some of us this morning, right? Some of us who probably have been in church for a very long time. Maybe you have been serving in church for the longest time. Maybe you grew up in church, you know, like me. The super scary thing about all that is that we can, we really can, depend on our past experiences to move on in life. We can think about, oh, that youth camp that I went through like 20 years ago, like that I experienced God. You can draw from that experience to go on in your lives. But that's a very dangerous thing because that's not how God intended us to be. Our God is not the God of just our yesterday's promises. He's not just the God of the Old Testament as you saying just now. He is the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. He is the God who wants us to experience Him today. He wants us to experience Him tomorrow and to be drawing that strength, not just from our past experiences, but from our everyday experience with Him. And the only way, church, that we can do that, the only way is if our heart is right before Him, if we desire for Him, if we want Him, if you want him to move. And to some of y'all, don't, don't enter into the cruise mode. I can tell you, it's very easy to enter in the cruise mode, right? I think if you have been serving for long enough, it's very easy to just pick a, good, a few good songs, come up on stage and sing good songs, your voice good, play a little minor chord, you know, Holy Spirit move. It's very easy to enter into that. But do not get, let ourselves get into cruise mode and to just be doing church. That's not the point. No point at all if we start doing that. But we need to be able to see what God is seeing. Break my heart, oh God, for what breaks yours. Do we feel that this morning? Is that where our hearts are at? Because that's what being desperate for Him, being desperate for His move, for to be desiring for Him, that's what it means. Not for ourselves to feel good, church. Not for ourselves to be happy about, oh, you know what? service was so good yesterday. Not a point. But are we serving God? Are we saying, you know what, God? You move. It doesn't matter if we look like a fool. It doesn't matter if we are like, you know, undignified and all that stuff. As long as God, as long as God is, is preached, as long as someone knows that God is good, someone can see that God is good through our lives, I think that's all that matters. And there's another group of you guys that I want to talk to this morning. And Maybe it's been a season of like tired and life getting into the way. And like the plant, right? There was neglect of God for one day. Tough day. Okay, that's cool. Became two days. Became one week of missing church to two weeks. And before you know it, it's been two years since you stepped into church. Maybe you have been watching church online for the past two years. Hey, we see you. We know that you're there. And you're afraid to come back because it's hard. How? You know, I'm trying to do my very best. I'm trying to water. I'm trying to, to put it under the sunlight. I'm trying to get my plant to grow again. We might not be able to revive the plant. We might not be able to repot it and make it 
growing and thriving once again, but God can. Only God can. If you have made that one step to tune in this morning online, if you have made that one step to be in church this morning after a very long time, God sees your heart. God knows. And if you want to, to be growing and thriving again, and you don't know what to do anymore, guess what? God knows. You got to surrender it to Him. Reach out to Him because He's reaching out to you. And, and I just want to encourage you guys that if there is that fear, if there is that uncertainty, it's not, it's, not a, it's not a lost cause. You are not a lost cause. God is doing something in your lives. God wants to touch you. God wants you to, to be reconnected back to community. God wants you to be serving Him once again. Don't let the past few days, the past few years of neglect dictate who you are today, dictate what kind of life you lead tomorrow because it's in the little, little things. Amen? You know, this, this message is something that I feel for, for a lot of us, we need to constantly be checking our lives. It's not, it's not an easy one. Yeah, it's not something that's easy because it's not as tangible as, you know, like action steps, action plans, one, two, three, A, B, Cs. But it's something that is so crucial because our hearts are the root of so many things. If our desires are misplaced, maybe we could end up, you know, insecure. We could end up doing the wrong things. We could end up focusing on what's wrong because that's what Saul did wrong. It was not that everything that he did was wrong. Was wrong. It was because he focused on the wrong thing. His end goal was wrong. Versus someone like David. Did he make mistakes? Yeah, he, did. he made mistakes. But how what was his heart? Where was his focus point? Where was his focal point? It was on God. So this morning, I pray that that is what we are desiring from God. That is what we are saying, you know what, God? Shift our eyes away from ourselves. Shift our eyes away from everything that's around me. We want to just be looking to you. You know, church, I think it's time that we start looking beyond just our lives to be looking beyond just these four walls, right? Doing church is not just for a hype service. It's not just so that, you know, like, wow, we're part of something exciting and something cool. The point of all this is that we want to be used by God. We want to touch so many lives. And to the two group of people just now that I talked to, for the first group, hey, come on, we got to be designed for God so, so much more. Maybe you had that experience before a few years back and you're like still hanging on to all that. You're still hanging on and you are still being able to, to serve and to do what you can do. God doesn't want you to just hang on to those experiences. He wants to give you a fresh touch this morning. He wants to give you a fresh experience this morning. He wants you to encounter Him this morning. What is our desire? What is our heart? What, is, what are we desperate for? Why are we even doing this? And to the second group of people that I talked to just now, hey, don't be afraid. God sees your heart. God knows your heart. He knows your motives. And no matter how hard it might feel for you right now to want to revive that plan, to report your plan, to want to get back here, to get back to God, He's saying, you don't have to do too much. You don't have to try so hard. Reach out your hand. I'm here. I'm here. I'm listening. I'm holding you. So this morning, this is something that I feel is between you and God. And if it is your prayer, I pray, cry out to God this morning, church. Let's not be silent. Let's not just be a good Sunday service because that's not what matters. Let's be desiring for God. Let's ask God, 
check our hearts, correct our hearts, set us right once again. And Father, we know, we know that we will be the church that's after your heart. We don't want to please people. We don't want to impress men. We want to impress you, oh God. So church, if that is your prayer, why don't you just lift up both hands and let's speak in the spirit for a little while. Come on. So, so Hallelujah. Father, Father, we know that you love us. And Father, we know that you are there. And God, we don't want to rely on our past experiences. We don't want to rely on how we used to do church to be doing it right now. But Father, I pray for such a fresh anointing, a fresh touch, a fresh experience this morning for each and every one of us. And we are believing that God, you have called us to not just be a church for ourselves, but Lord, there is so much more for us out there. And God, I pray, God, we pray that our hearts will always be desiring for you, that our hearts will not be to be pleasing men, but to be pleasing you. And God, I pray that, Lord, if we have entered into cruise mode in church, Father, we just want to say that we're sorry. And God, we want, we want to be going with you. We want to be building with you. And we know that, God, you are doing the work in our church that only you can. And Father, I just want to pray for those who might feel far away from you, who might feel like it's such an impossible task to come back to you. And Father, I pray that Lord, you will, you will revive their plans. That Father, you will help them to, to really come to a place to, to not be afraid anymore. And Father, I pray that Lord, for every step that they take, that they will know that you are there. They will know that they're not walking this alone, but they are walking this with you. Father, we are believing that God, even as we continue to, to build, as we continue to grow, that God, we will be a church that's after your heart. We don't want to be self-serving, but God, we want to serve you. We want to give you praise all the time that everything we do, Father, is really for you. So God, we just want to say thank you. We just want to say that we love you. And God, we know that, Lord, you are moving here right now. That God, you are touching each and every one of us right now. We want to experience you, oh God. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Father, we thank you that you look at our hearts and not our outer appearances. We thank you that, God, you don't look towards what we can do, but really what, the hearts, what our hearts are, what the conditions of our hearts are. And Father, I pray that this morning that you continue to do the work in and through our lives that really only you can. And Father, we just want to be, we want to be obedient. We want to be secure in you. We want to be able to trust in you and know that our identity is not in, in ourselves, but it's really in you. And God, we just want to say thank you and that we love you. And God, we know that you're working in our church. We know that you're working in our lives. We just want to say thank you and that we love you, God. We love you so much and we know that God, 
in every step that we take, that you are there. In every situation that we are afraid, you are there and you are walking us through. Amen. Father, we thank you. We love you. And now may the love of the Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit really be with us this week in every person that we meet, in everything that we do. Father, I pray that we will be vessels of you, that we will be the people that you want us to be. And God, we know, we know that you are with us. So we thank you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on. Amen. 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 Church, remember, it's not in the big, the big things. It's in the little, little things. Yeah. And I'm so glad that God doesn't look at just our outer appearances. He doesn't just look at like what we have accomplished in life, but He looks at our hearts. Amen. So be encouraged by that. And I pray, I pray that if you guys are still thinking about whether to come back to church or not, come back. You know, let's pack this place out once again. It's been too long. It's been too long that, you know, we have had that space and the time. You know, come on, come back. Yeah. God loves you. It's going to be a, have a great week ahead. If you guys are traveling this week, stay safe. This sermon has been brought to you by Harvest Generation Church. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged.